All right, good evening. I am so glad to be here standing before you this evening. I was talking with the elders before and I thought, you know, if we're going to shoot fireworks tonight, and you usually shoot fireworks at nighttime, I might as well just preach until the sun goes down and then we'll be able to move on with the fireworks. But I'm just kidding, but I'm so glad to be here. If you're a visitor, I want you to know that I love you and we all love you here at Midway. And uh, all the members here, make sure if you see a guest, make sure that they know when they leave that they are loved by us. When we think about the sin of sexual immorality, it's something that we usually don't like to talk about. We talk about it some in church when the preacher preaches on it or when we read it in our Bibles. But usually when we watch the news or when we watch um, uh, politicians speak in front of everyone or when we see it on, you know, maybe the president, we never hear anything really about it. We never hear how bad it is, how God says in His Word that this is something that is absolutely an abomination. This is something that's not pleasing to Him. And this is something that goes against His will. I'd like to start off this evening with a few statistics that have been taken from sexual sin. Did you know that the average age that a person will lose their virginity, males is 16 years old and a female is 17 years old. The average amount of sexual partners throughout a person's life in the entire world, for males, nine. For females, four. One in four teens contract STDs who are sexually active each year. One in two sexually active persons with multiple partners will contract an STD by the age of 29. Get this, only 3% of people in America stand on their wedding day virgins. 20% in religious groups stand on their wedding days virgins. We never hear anything about that. You never hear a politician say, you know what, there's something wrong with this. This is wrong. When we read our Bibles, this is something that we shouldn't be proud of. We, we often hear people say, you know what, it's actually good that we are actually having multiple partners, multiple partnerships, multiple physical relationships. But you know what, you never ever hear one of them say this, and this saddens me deeply. But this is a statistic that I read from the Bible. 100% of men and women, when they die in this sin, will lose their soul for eternity. Don't be deceived. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, For this cause a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to who? Not a woman, not a young teenager that they haven't gotten married yet, cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, we read of a list of actions or works that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's funny when we see that in the Bible, when we see these lists of sinful works, have you ever noticed that adultery 
and sexual immorality are listed at the top? Or listed, first of all, there's something about it that God wanted us to know this is going to be a problem and it's always going to be a problem. Have you really thought about it? At the very beginning of the Bible, it was a problem. To Revelation, it was a problem. Today, it's a problem. And it'll only get worse. There may be some this evening that are listening to the words that are coming out of my mouth right now. Some may fold their arms and say, you know what? I've spiritually grown. Why do I need to hear this? I'm over this sin. I'm too mature spiritually to fall for something like this. Listen, there's no one in this room and there's no one that's ever lived that's been above this sin except Jesus Christ. That's why in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 26, we read in that whole chapter about the woman who's deceived many people, the woman who is an adulterous woman, the, one, the woman who is a fornicator. And when we read in verse 26, we read that strong men are slain by her. Do you want me to prove to you that strong men can be slain by this sin? We'll start here. In 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, turn there with me. I want you to read this with me. This is very important. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And you remember a guy named David? You remember what was told about David, how he was described? A man after God's own heart. Isn't that beautiful? Wow, I wish I was able to say, you know what, I'm a man after God's own heart. Isn't that a wonderful compliment? Let's see what the man after God's own heart does. He's a strong man. Let's see what he does. Verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now listen to verse 2. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Keep going with me. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanliness. And she returned unto her house. I have in my notes here, progression. What does that mean? Well, basically go back to verse 2. And let's see where David went wrong. There was a progression, if you didn't notice it. Check it out in verse 2, at the latter end of it. And from the roof he saw a woman washing. There's the first step. He saw a woman washing. But is that a sin? Absolutely not. Sometimes we see things that we shouldn't see. And maybe we turn away from it so we don't dwell upon that. But let's see what David did after he saw the woman washing. How, did, how is the woman described? And the woman was very beautiful. Okay, there's another one. There's another hint that this could go somewhere wrong. Let's keep going. She was beautiful to look upon. 
I wonder what he was thinking. If we keep reading through the verses that we just read through, it's obvious he was thinking lustful thoughts. There were some thoughts that were going through his head that were absolutely sinful. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it would be better that one of your members to perish than your whole body to be cast in hell forever. It took one step to bring about the rest. So many people I've talked to or heard conversations about They'll come in and they'll say, you know what? I thought we would just do this one thing. Just this one thing. It's very small. But then, I don't know what happened after that. Something happened and then we just, we just kept going. And I couldn't stop myself. I didn't know that it was this powerful of a thing. I didn't know that I wouldn't have the self-control to stop myself and buffet my body. I did not know. It's so funny. They always start out with this. We were just going to do one thing. We thought that it would be okay to do this. If I could illustrate this in a story, this is the way I would do it. A little boy runs out the front porch of his house and he goes around to the side, his little fishing pole is laying up against the side of the house. He grabs that fishing pole and don't get this confused, fishing rod, fishing pole. Fishing rod you can take and cast however long or how much weight you got on that thing, you can cast it how far you want it to go. Fishing pole, you cast that with your wrist and you're limited on how far you can throw that thing out there. The boy goes out to the backyard where his pond is. His dad calls out the back door, son, don't get in the water. Don't go out to the stump in the middle of the pond. Yes, sir. He goes out to the dam and he looks and he says, man, there's a bunch of brim out here today. He's got his weenies ready to put on his hook and he starts casting it out there and he's catching fish. Man, oh man, he's catching so much fish. And he's having the best time. He's out there for hours, actually. And then he looks out that same day and he says, Are those bass? Those are a little bigger than those brim. Man, if I could catch one of those. He takes his pole and he bends it. He says, We can do it today. He takes his first step in the water. He's now to his ankles. He's going out and he's about 10 feet out now. And, but he's able to reach the bass, and he is catching them like crazy. Sunset, he's got to go back inside. Next day, he grabs the rod and he goes out. Don't go out in the water. Don't go out to the stump. Yes, sir. You think he goes and stands on the dam? No. He goes back to where he was, where he ended the day before, and he's catching bass. But then, through the process of time... I see some catfish. I see about a two or three pounder out there that I could catch. Let's go. He's now up to his belly. And he's kind of having to hold his arms up to not get his sleeves wet because, I mean, he's already wet. Might as well just pull his arms up. And so he starts casting out there and he keeps catching fish. And he's having the best time. And he looks, and at that stump, he goes, man, what is that thing? It's huge. Big old catfish. He bends his pole. We can do it today. He walks out. He's now up to his chest. He throws it out there. Fun fact for you, real quick. I'm going to get off topic. Did you know 
that water moccasins, when they den in the water, they usually don't den together. They're usually not these social snakes that we see in the water. Very venomous snakes, but when they den, they're usually by themselves. But I'll tell you what, in this story, that's not the case. The boy makes it to the stump. And he looks down at his feet. He can barely see, but something as of a serpentine fashion is moving around his feet. He never knew a stick could bite so hard. Numerous times he was bitten. Worked from his legs all the way up to his chest. And the boy drops the pole falls down into the water. The catfish wasn't caught that day. Why? He took the first step. And he kept going. Don't take the first step. That might be the beginning of the last steps you'll ever take. Let's move on. We'll go now to Matthew chapter 4. And if you know, as soon as I said Matthew chapter 4, it has nothing to do with sexual sin. But I'm so glad that Mark last Sunday, he taught on this. He actually was in this chapter for a good while. And he was talking about making sin sound good. And buddy, Satan made sin sound good in this chapter. But if we look through, I won't read everything, but we look through, Jesus has been taken out uh, by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's going to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. There's your backstory. Here comes Satan. Jesus, take these stones and turn them into bread. You look so hungry. Why don't you do that? No, no Satan. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, a very high point, and says, You know what? Jesus, throw yourself down. Cast yourself down, because isn't it written that the angels shall bear thee up? No, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. Then he takes him to an exceeding high mountain. Look, Jesus. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give it to you. Everything under one condition, if you bow down to me and you worship me. No. Shall worship the Lord your God and Him alone you shall serve. Don't miss what Jesus did every single time. Satan may have quoted some scripture, but Jesus had something in his back pocket to throw back. It is written, it is written, and it is written in the law. Don't miss that. In Psalm 119, we'll read in verse 11 that the Bible says, I have laid up in my heart your word so that I may not sin against thee. True or false? In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, does it say, put on the helmet of salvation? Take on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
I have another question for you. How much do you read your Bible to be able to fight off Satan? Do you ever, do you ever think about that? When you're reading your Bible, do you ever think that while I'm doing this, I'm actually training myself to fight off Satan? What's the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. What's the Word of God? The sword of the Spirit. It goes hand in hand. It's the same exact thing. What happens when Satan comes to you? He busts down your door and he's there. He's ready. He surprised you. He pulls out his sword and he's ready to destroy you because that's what he wants to do, right? And he's ready to destroy you and you reach to unsheathe your sword and you haven't read your word, you haven't read God's word, you haven't laid it up in your heart so that you wouldn't sin against Him, and you reach, there's nothing there. Nothing. If we're not going to read our Bibles, study our Bibles, read anything, and we reach to unsheathe our sword, there will be nothing there. You're taking fists to a sword fight. You'll be killed. That's the biggest point I'll make this entire lesson. If you missed it, I'll say it again. If you're not reading the Word of God, you don't have a weapon to fight off Satan. And if you're not laying them up in your heart, you're weaponless. You're defenseless. But what if we read? What if... We have those words that come up and say, here comes Satan. How about you commit this act of sexual sin? Look at how beautiful he or she is. Why don't you go ahead and do it? It'll give you pleasure. Do it. Make yourself happy. Are you ready? It's written. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that? I'm not my own anymore. Do you know that the sexually immoral Satan will not inherit the kingdom of God? I buffet my body. I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to finish the race. And I'm going to keep this faith. We have to be ready to pull out our sword spiritually and fight off the schemes of the devil. It's written. That's my second point. Here's my third point. And what was so great about writing this lesson was that I struggled a little bit. I don't like doing this. But if somebody actually preaches on a topic before me, I usually try to stay away from it. But think about it is, this next one, it's got to be talked about. Because it's absolutely awesome. I think it's the coolest thing ever. And I look to this young man who we're about to read about and I say, wow, good job. I want to be like you. Every person in this room should strive in this topic that we're talking about tonight, should strive to be like this young man. Genesis chapter 39. And when I said that, you probably thought, Joseph. Genesis chapter 39. Now, verses 1 through 6, I'm going to give you some backstory. We're not going to read verses 1 through 6 verbatim. But Joseph had been sold into slavery, 
And he finds his place in this man named Potiphar. Potiphar was wealthy. He had much power. And the Bible tells us, verses 1 through 6, that Potiphar appointed Joseph and actually brought him up with great power. And Jehovah was with Joseph. And Jehovah blessed the house of Mr. Potiphar and everything in it. Why? Because Joseph found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's your backstory. But the last part of verse 6, we have to start this off this way. Because you have to know this, and I think it's very important. But verse 6, He left all that he had in Joseph's hand, that's Mr. Potiphar, and he knew not all he had, save the bread which he did eat. Now get this. Brother Clark Sims made this point, and I'm going to do my best to drive it home uh, this evening. But Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. What that basically means, everyone in this room, Joseph was good looking. Joseph was attractive. He was something to look at. That's the way it was. He was well built. I was actually talking to Dax on the way here, one VBS, and I, we actually were talking about this verse. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I can kind of connect with Joseph in this, this matter. And he starts laughing. He says, man, are you talking about that you look good looking? And I look back at him. I said, no, I've got some older brothers that are pretty annoying and they probably want to sell me into slavery too. But... Joseph was good looking. That's the fact of the matter. I'm not trying to be immature. That's just what the Bible says. And then also, the worst thing that was we can know about this story about Joseph, here it comes. He was 17 years old. This is a scientific fact, what I'm about to tell you. The latter years of a boy's life, in his teenage years, his sexual drive is at its peak. Know that as we read this. This is probably one of the hardest things that Joseph has ever done. Even though he went through a lot, this was probably one of the hardest temptations, I would have to say. But here we go. Verse 7. I'm going to stop and start a lot in this, so get ready. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. Wow. She was very straightforward with that. But I want you to notice she cast her eyes upon Joseph. Remember David? What did he do? He saw. Remember what Jesus says? Pluck your eye out if it causes you to sin. Remember? It all connects. It starts with the first step. And then it says, the Bible says, lie with me. So let's keep going. Verse 8, But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master was not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. We're going to stop right there. How many people do you know? And it's honestly, it's honestly mostly young people. But how many people do you know that have their hearts broken 
because they commit this sin and their boyfriend or girlfriend leaves them immediately after it, what do they say when you talk to them? I thought he loved me. I thought we had a future together. I thought we had a relationship. He seemed so sincere. She seemed so sincere. I thought we were going to get married one day. I thought we were ready. Listen to what Joseph says. He not only says, I have a relationship with Mr. Potiphar, and we have a good relationship, and I actually have a good future here. I'm actually pretty powerful here. We, God has blessed me so much. Things are good here. He doesn't say that alone. Listen to the end of verse 9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How many people do you hear nowadays that say, I thought he loved me, I thought she loved me, I thought we had a future together? How many of them usually do they say when you ask the question, you say, well, what about it being a sin against God? Did that ever cross your mind? Well, no. I guess not. I guess I was more caught up in my horizontal relationship rather than my vertical one. The main motivation behind this and not doing this sin and not committing this sin, it should be, how can I commit this great sin against my Creator? Let's move on. Verse 10. And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. That verse really, it caught my eye. I read this about, I read this chapter through about two or three times before I started writing, writing anything on it. And I didn't notice about to the second or third time when I read this verse and how much was in it. So, listen to this. She spake to Joseph day by day. How terrible would that be? I'm sure every man in here has been 17 years old once. Haven't you? It seems almost like a year ago I was 17. But notice this. Remember the scientific fact? And then add on top of that, day by day. Man, how hard would that be? How absolutely hard would that be? I'm not saying that it, wouldn't be, uh, that it wouldn't be hard for a woman. I'm sure it would be. But for a young 17-year-old boy, we know the struggles of that. That's just the way we are. And I'm not saying, oh, that's just the way you are. Go commit the sin and just say, that's just the way I am. That's just the struggles that we're going to have to go through in this life. But notice the last part of this verse. He hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. He understood the value of taking the first step. Did you hear the difference? To lie by her or to lie with her. Just lie by me. Just take that first step. It's just going to be one just lie by me. No. Because I know what happens when you take the first step.
I'm not going to lie by you, and I'm not going to lie with you. Then here we go. Verse 12. Well, verse 11, let's go back up, because we need to know this. 11, it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. Clark Sam said, do you think that's a coincidence? Absolutely not. Also, this is not immature to say because this is usually the truth most of the time. But usually when you have a husband who's got power and money, usually the wife is very beautiful. The wife is very pretty. Add that on top of it. Now he's alone in the house with her. So now we see a setting that Satan himself has formed and created. And he says, ha, ha, now I got him. He's 17. Day by day, she's been asking. He's worn down. He's weak. There's no one in the house. I've got him now. Let's see what he does. He's not going to say it's written. He's not going to say, I'm going to take the first step. I've got Mrs. Potiphar to do something this day that's different than what she's done before. Let's see how Joseph reacts to it. Verse 12. She called him by his garment saying, Lie with me. What does he do? He left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. I was talking to a friend of mine. He came to me and I knew something was wrong because he was just he was very quiet. He seemed very quiet the entire week. He said, Man, I gotta come to you. I got I gotta tell you something and it's very important and I'm so ashamed of it and I shouldn't have done it. And I said, What is it? And he just wouldn't stop talking and I was like, Buddy, just calm down and just tell me. My girlfriend and I, we did some things that only a married couple should do. And I feel terrible. I said, man, what you need to do, have you asked for forgiveness for it? First of all, do you feel sorry for that? And did you ask for forgiveness? He says, yes, I did. I did. It's just I, I, can't, I can't get the guilt and the thoughts out of my mind. And I was like, well, Buddy, just do your best to maybe set a boundary. Maybe stay in public. Do something to where you're never alone. Try that, okay? Try that. You can't commit this sin against God. You can't just keep doing it over and over again. He's like, I know. Thanks, buddy. He comes back to me and says, Man, we committed it again. We did it again. I said, Buddy, why? Why did you did you do what I, I told you? Did you take the hints, the, the clues, the, the advice that I said? And he said, No, I didn't. I really didn't. I tried for like forty five minutes, but it didn't work. He goes and he leaves. He comes back again. I can't stop. I can't stop. There's something wrong with me. I need your help. Somebody just help. 
I can't stop. She can't stop. There's something terribly wrong. Last point. Sometimes the best way to fight off Satan is to buy a new pair of tennis shoes and run for the hills. Cut the relationship. Do everything that you can to get away. Once you start, once you keep going, it almost seems after a while it's not even a problem anymore. Having your conscience seared with a hot iron, that's what it's called in Second Timothy. I'm going to extend the invitation now and start with a story. And then somebody else is actually going to invite you forward instead of me. And you'll understand why when I say it. I-22, you're driving with your friends down that interstate. Speed limit's 70 most of the time. Usually it'll drop down to maybe 65, but 70 is usually where you need to set your cruise control. You're driving down the road, and you know that there's a bridge coming up. You've driven it many times. You know the road. You're driving with your friends. And think, think with me here. Use your imagination. Your friends are immature. They're immature, and they're always messing around. And you're driving through, and you see a construction worker standing there just whistling, and he's holding a big sign. And the sign says... Bridge out ahead. If you keep driving, you will die. And about that time, one of your friends takes his hand, slaps you right in the back of the head. And you, hey, what are you doing? Hey, guys, stop it back there. Keep yourself under control. I'm driving here. You totally forget about the sign that you just read. And they just keep getting louder and louder. And you're so angry at your friends because they're so immature. They need to grow up. And then you look at your speedometer. You're going 80 now. And then you look ahead about a mile or so and you see somebody else holding the sign. But instead of it being a construction worker, it looks like a homeless man. And he's holding a little bit smaller sign. And it says, bridge out. If you keep driving, you will die. But you kind of just, you're fighting off your friends and you look at the sign and say, okay, that's what that guy's holding. He's homeless. What, what does he know? And you keep going and you're getting angrier and angrier and angrier. You're going 90 now. You look ahead and there's a little stroller with a baby in it asleep. And it's got like a little necklace with a little sign. You're able to read it when you're like maybe ten feet away. But you recognize it because you've read it two times before. Bridge is out. If you continue driving, you'll die. What's a baby doing out on the side of the road? You're now going 100 miles per hour. 
You're driving, you're driving, your friends are still slapping you in the back of the head and messing around, they're so loud, and then all of a sudden the hood of the car flips up straight into your windshield. You can't see anymore, and then the front right tire pops, the back left tire pops, you start toppling over, and then lo and behold, the bridge is now here. And it's not going all the way across. And you fall down into a river. Everyone perishes. You say, Cole, you got some harsh, uh, you got some harsh stories today. Yeah, I do. That's actually what the Bible says. You will die. One hundred percent of people that die in this sin, they'll die forever. When Satan tempts you. Just remember, if he tempts you sexually, don't take the first step. Now, are we perfect? No. But don't take that first step. Secondly, make sure your weapon is with you. Make sure you have the word laid up in your heart to fight off Satan. And third, if it gets so bad that you can't help yourself anymore, you put on your shoes and you run to the hills. When Satan wears us down, when we're on our knees and he has us, he's smiling right over us and he says, you are my slave now, I have you, and you're not going anywhere. And he draws his sword and he is about to kill us. We're so tired. This taskmaster is wearied us down. He's worn us down. We can't do anything else. And we look to your right right before he takes a strike and there's a man standing and he says this come to me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn to me for I am meek and lowly in spirit and ye shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you need to make your relationship with God right, do it tonight. We love you so much. And we want to share eternity with you in heaven. And Jesus himself says, Come unto me, all ye that labor. He invites you. I didn't do it. He's already died and rose from the grave. All you got to do is obey Him. Isn't that beautiful? If you straight away, if you once obeyed, but then you've gone back out into the cares of the world and, and you've been choked by those cares or, or you've just fallen, fallen away from Christ, Why would you leave tonight in the same state that you came? 
please come forward if you have the need as we stand, as we sing. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way while we do His